Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we review the fifth Magellan Ashes Test in Sydney and the entire Ashes series. And here to do that is former Australia batsman Mike Hussey. Welcome, Mike. G'day, Sam. How are you, mate? When you're in your hotel, you're looking very comfortable. You've got a towel on. <laughs> yeah, and other things. <laughs> <laughs> no, very relaxed. Uh, yeah, it's been an amazing Ashes series. Great, uh, great for Australia to regain the Ashes. I think they totally deserve it. Uh, it's yeah, there's been some outstanding performances, which I'm sure we'll go through uh, this afternoon. We certainly will. Let's before we get into the the Ashes series as a whole wrap. Let's quickly review the, the fifth test. And England made one change for the SCG test. Chris Wokes was ruled out with injury. Mason Crane caught up to make his debut. while Australia welcome back Mitchell Stark for Jackson Bird. Joe Root won the toss and elected a bat. His side made 346. Root himself made 83. David Milan made 62. Pat Cummins was the pick of the Aussie Bowls with four for 80. In reply, Australia made a mammoth seven for 649 declared. Usman Kawaja scored 171. Sean Marsh 156. And Mitchell Marsh 101. Then England staring down a Massive deficit, or bowled out for 180. Cummins again, the pick with four wickets, and he won the Man of the Match award because of that. Root battled a gastro bug and finished the match. We think asleep in the dressing room was in a very bad way. Uh, as Australia wrapped up the series 4-0, Smith was named the Compton Miller Medal, Compton Miller Medal winner. So that five times fast as the <laughs> player of the series. Uh, Mike, before we get into the the whole series, what were your reflections on the fifth test? Well, I think uh, England did the right thing by batting first on the first day. Um, they, they had to do that, particularly after they picked the two spinners, Mason Crane coming into the into the England team. And, and I thought they battled away pretty well. But again, it's been a bit of a tale of the whole series. They had good uh, batsmen get some good starts and just not be able to go on with it. No, none of the batsmen were able to go on and get big hundreds and, and set up the game there. Uh, I think the telling uh, point in the, of the innings was ju- the second new ball just before the close when Mitchell yep. Stark came on and uh, got a couple of quick wickets, Joe Root, and then Johnny Bairstow elected not to have a uh, night watchman, mm. which proved costly in the end as he was dismissed uh, late in the day. So 340-odd for England. It, it was a competitive score, but... We always thought might not be enough, and that proved to be the case. The Aussies got in there and um, batted superbly. They mm. really did. Uh, Usman Kawaja coming in really early under a fair bit of pressure, uh, magnificent 170-odd, uh, played really well. You know, he looked decisive. His footwork looked really good. His timing was back. Especially against the spinners because there's a lot of spin bowling. This exactly, and I was going to say he played the spin very well, which is obviously he's copped a bit of criticism about. Uh, Sean Marsh, well, he's been sensational all series, really. Uh, probably wasn't under as much pressure coming into this innings, but throughout the series, he's always been in pressure situations. Showed his class again. Um, he's a quality player, and, and at his best and fit, uh, he's definitely in Australia's best six batsmen and, and, and certainly has, has cemented that number five spot, I think, for Australia. And then uh, it was some nice moments out there batting with his brother, Mitch, who came in and uh, he looked really scratchy early against mm. Mason Crane, had him in all kinds of trouble. 
Um, but he managed to survive and then start to blossom. We saw the full array of shots and from Mitch Marsh. Uh, a lot of power, uh, particularly off the spinners down the ground. It was, uh, it was pretty amazing to watch. And He went from 91 to 99 in two shots against yeah. a fast bowler. And then the second one on 95... It was just a full-blooded, lofted off-drive. It was amazing in the 90s. Yeah, no nervous 90s there for Mitch Marsh, <laughs> that's for sure. Just get through them as quick as you possibly can. Um, I, I think the, the, the hilarious bit for me was when he uh, brought up the 100. Yeah. He punched it through cover, off the back foot. They go through for one, uh, coming back for the second, and Sean Marsh and Mitch Marsh stop in the middle of the pitch to have a little bit of a hug. And uh, then Mitch realises, no, we've got to finish the run before, yeah. uh, otherwise one of us is going to get the run out. The ball's not going to the boundary. <laughs> no, it wasn't going to the fence. So that just... Uh, sums up the Marsh brothers, you know yeah. how um, how much they the, the fam- how proud the family are of each other, and uh, it was a uh, it was a great great moment, I guess. Steve Smith's reaction was oh, hilarious yeah. uh, in the change rooms as well, as he was almost it, it was like he was out in the middle trying to order uh, the Marsh yeah. brothers around as well. So well, he uh, was the only one watching the ball. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else was applauding the Marsh brothers and, and Mitch getting his hundred, while he's watching the ball going, "Get back to your crease." <laughs> That's right. He might have said a couple of other words that can't <laughs> be repeated on this podcast. <laughs> so it was just a hilarious moment, really. But um, great reward, great reward for those guys. Um, Mitch Marsh, in particular, you know, he's he's battled along the way. He's coming back from a shoulder injury, and um, he's gone away and worked really hard on his batting. And uh, and and oh mate, he's reaping the rewards for that. He's copped a lot of criticism as well in yep. the press. So to be able to prove those doubters wrong, he, he's such a good package as well for this Australian team. Um, if he's making runs, which is what he's got to do, if he's going to bat in the top six primarily, he has to be making runs, but he can help out with the ball as well, which makes him a nice package for the Australian team. And he's done exactly what they want him to do. He's the type of player that when they're on top, I think he came in at 4 for 280 or 4 for 300, yep. he came on there and really pushed home the advantage. <laughs> he got a, survived, you know, as you said, a scratchy start, but then he played... A lot of powerful strokes and really gave the gave that innings the, up the ante that it really needed. And then in Melbourne, when they needed to draw the match, he showed that he had the maturity and patience to block out and get a draw. Yeah, I think that'll really please Steve Smith, knowing that he can play a variety of roles. Um, but particularly his attacking play, he might come in in a situation where the team's in trouble and he can... Uh, counterpunch, I guess, much like Adam Gilchrist used to do. He's got the ability to do that. So I, I sort of get the feeling he's he's just got to find his identity uh, of how he plays the game and, and then sort of stick to it. And obviously you need to adapt to the different uh, situations of games. But, you know, he, he's building a bit of a, a nice identity of, uh, of someone who can be very aggressive and, and, and uh, increase the scoring rate quickly. Uh, I think for England... Um, they stuck at their task pretty well. Mason Crane, I was really impressed with. He was pretty unlucky there at certain stages. Uh, and on another day, I think, or another innings, he could have picked up three or four wickets. Yeah. Um, so he spun the ball a lot and uh, had great energy. Uh, he he uh, aborted a few times when he was yeah. running into bowl, which was a bit strange, but um, it, it wouldn't have bothered me too much as a batsman. And uh, some people criticised him for it, but uh, I think the advice came from Stuart McGill, who's done a bit of work with him, uh, saying that if it doesn't feel right when you land or you think you're going to bowl a no ball, then just stop. Like much like a golfer who doesn't feel comfortable over the ball, just stop and start again. And uh, well, that's fair enough too, isn't it? You don't want a ball a ball that's not your best. Well, that's right. You, you're only going to let the team down if you just go through with it and bowl uh, a pile of rubbish. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have a problem with that. I, I guess my only worry is you don't want to be thinking about where your feet are when you're trying to concentrate on where you land the ball. So, and he, and he did 
bowl or no ball, which would have been a wicket. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's what I mean. And, and there was millimetres in it. It, it. If I'm being honest, when I had first look at it, I thought it, he actually got some bit behind the line. Oh, really? So uh, it could have gone either way. And, and as I said, he was unlucky. There was a few inside edges that just went short of a uh, short leg. He just ballooned in the air and he couldn't quite get there for a court and bowled. So I felt for him because I know his figures don't look all that great in the first innings, but he, um, he actually did a pretty good job, I thought. And then in reply... Massive deficit. Uh, they were going for the draw. Just too much, wasn't it, Mike? Well, it was always going to be hard for England. Um, the, the, the previous day when they're in the field, it was like 55 degrees yeah. out in the middle. Uh, ridiculously hot conditions. And that would have taken a lot out of them, physically, obviously, but also mentally, just draining them after a long series. Uh, so you, you sort of feel like it was a matter of time when Australia were going to break through. And I thought England fought pretty hard, uh, particularly Joe Root. Uh, he, he batted well again in the second innings. Uh, Johnny Bairstow as well. Um, he, he looked pretty good again. Showed some good fighting qualities. But, um, yeah, it was always going to be too much. And I guess coming in on the last day, everyone was looking to Joe Root to be the one to hopefully bat a long time for England and, uh, and maybe save the day. But, unfortunately for him, he got sick during the night and, uh, and, and he he'd went to hospital. Yeah. Uh, it was on a drip for a period of time. And, and he, he, he did show a lot of courage to be able to come to the ground and in fact, go out there and bat. Managed to get through to lunchtime, but then um, just deteriorated really badly again. So you feel you feel for him because I know he would have liked to have finished off with a hundred at the SCG. It's been a tough tour for him, but it sort of sums up the English uh, tour really that uh, it, it just didn't really go to plan. So uh, yeah, Australia thoroughly deserved their four 0 win. I think um, Pat Cummins was sensational with yeah. the ball. Uh, really, really good. Four wickets in each innings. Um, it was a pretty good batting pitch. Uh, and he just seemed like he got better and better as the series wore on. That's a really good sign for Australia, knowing that he can get through full five test matches yeah. um, and keep his standards and keep his pace up, which uh, it's a great sign for Australia. I thought Nathan Lyon bowled well again. Uh, I know that the pitch was helping him, and he's had a hold over the left-handers, uh, and, oh, yeah. and he cleaned them up again. So uh, it's very difficult for the left-handers on a pitch like that, that where some are spinning prodigiously and then some are skidding on just to try and survive is hard enough, let alone prosper. So, uh, no, But well bowled Nathan Lyon as well. Mitch Stark and Hazelwood chip in here and there. But um, I think the two stars with the ball were probably Lyon and, uh, and um, Pat Cummins. And Pat Cummins, those eight wickets, took him to 23 for the series. And he became the leading wicket-taker. So what, a, what an Ashes debut series for Pat Cummins. Yeah, phenomenal. Couldn't happen to a better bloke, to be honest. He's a great character. Uh, he's been through a lot since his first Test match in South Africa all those years ago. A lot of injury problems. Um, but, yeah, we, we, the selectors, they picked him because he had so much talent and ability. And now we're starting to see the reward of that because um, he's staying fit. He's, he's ch- uh, just modelled his action uh, slightly so he can get through um, you, know, you know, without getting injured as much. And uh, I had a quick chat to Glenn McGrath after the game and he's confident that uh, we can see a sustained run of good form for Pat Cummins because his action looks good and strong, but even when he was getting tired. So uh, let's hope, fingers crossed, that he can stay fit. All right. Good summary there, Mike. Let's, uh, let's talk about the whole series, 4-0 to Australia. And we've identified five key talking points out of this series. There's so much to talk about. We've just nailed it down to five. We'll start off with the skippers, Steve Smith versus Joe Root. Off the numbers, Steve Smith, what a series, 687 runs at 137.4. I think it was just a couple of runs short of the all-time record. He's got three hundreds. He was pretty close a couple of times to getting that fourth hundred. Would have been the fourth player ever to do that in an Ashes series. Versus Joe Root, who scored 378 runs at 47.25. And he got those five 50s, 50, 50-odd retired not out in the end of the series. Steve Waugh said that Steve Smith's run getting, all those runs that he was making, all those hundreds he was making, would have had a, a negative effect on Joe Root because he would have tried to catch up with him and, and 
try and match his opposing mm. number. Uh, in the end, he, he couldn't do it. Steve Smith was just batting on another planet. Uh, how much did the performances of those two players affect the series? Oh, I think hugely. Um, you've got to take your hat off to Joe Root, though. He's had a pretty good series, um, personally, with the bat. And, and you've also got to remember he's had a lot to deal with off the field. Yeah. You know, there's been the Stokes saga. There's the Bairstow headbutting incident. Team's been losing, you know, test matches early in the series. But he's still managed to go out there and, and perform pretty well. I think the thing he'll be disappointed about is that, yeah, he's got those 50s but he hasn't been able to turn them into uh, hundreds and big hundreds. And that's what Steve Smith's been able to yeah. do. He, Steve Smith, when he's got in, he's hardly ever got out. And uh, you could see him at the SCG when Steve Smith got out for 83. Oh. He was shaking his head as he was walking Spewing. up. He was so angry with himself. <laughs> he just knew he'd left a lot of runs out there in the middle. And, uh, yeah, uh, so, so that's the, the, the mentality of the guy that uh, he just loves batting uh, more than anything in the world. And, uh, yeah, it was a huge, it was a huge uh, I guess, um, rivalry coming into the series. I think Steve Smith uh, batted brilliantly. He captained well, but he also had the cattle. Uh, yeah. You know, he had the bowling to back him up, and and I think Joe Root was maybe just slightly let down by by the bowling he had. You know, and it's not it's not their fault, but um, there was certainly gulfs in quality between the two teams. And you look at those numbers: three hundred seventy-eight runs at forty-seven. That's, that's fantastic, really, isn't yeah. it? As a, as a top-order batsman. Uh, the 550s, though, Mike, he's got a bit of a reputation now of not being able to convert. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, I, it's got to be a mental thing. Um, it's just maybe, I, I don't know, he's the one that has to be able to answer this. Whether his mind just starts looking forward a bit too much or just getting ahead of himself or or starting to premeditate a little bit. But, you know, the guys that make big scores, they're just staying in the moment. They're just playing the ball. And, and Steve Smith's like that at the moment. He, he, you know, he, he's happy to go three or four overs without him scoring a run. Um, because a long innings, it always ebbs and flows. You're going to get times when you score quickly, some, sometimes you don't. Sometimes when your concentration wavers a bit and sometimes you're really switched on. But if you just stay in the moment and just keep playing ball by ball by ball um, with 100% concentration and don't, let you, don't look too far back and don't let, look too far ahead, then generally you've got your best chance. And, and perhaps, I don't know, um, but perhaps Joe Root, maybe his mind isn't just... 100% in the present um, when he makes those mistakes. What do you reckon his biggest takeaway from this series is? What do you reckon he's learnt the most on this five-test campaign? Mm, it's a good question. Um, I think he's probably learnt... I think this could be the making of him, actually, mm. this uh, this tour. I think he would have learnt that you've got to try and minimise those external distractions, uh, for one. I think he's learnt that uh, England need better preparation, uh, coming here, um, playing of probably a few more games and probably better quality games in the lead up to the, f- the first test. Um, probably learnt that uh, in Australian conditions, you need um, more pace in yeah. your attack. It's all good and well having uh, good quality bowlers, but you need more pace and probably a frontline spinner. And I think he probably learnt that uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s aren't going to win your test matches in Australia. Perhaps in England, where the conditions do seem and swing around a bit, you can yep. get a quick fire 50 or 60, and it, it has an impact on the on the game, but no, nah, not in Australia. So they're probably the key takeaways for me. Second point, Mike, uh, it's probably the selections, or the good selections by the Australian selectors. We talk about Tim Payne, Sean Marsh, and Cameron Bancroft. Tim Payne, one of the biggest Ashes bolters in history. Uh, Sean Marsh recalling a veteran who didn't have a CA contract, and then Cameron Bancroft displacing Matt Renshaw, who had done very well in his uh, short time as a test cricketer. They all came off at certain stages, Sean and Tim Payne in particular, and then they made the tough call to drop Peter Hanscom, which Steve Smith said it wasn't about his batting because he, again, had played a dozen test matches and done very well. It's to bring in Mitchell Marsh, who scored 200s, 
defied England on that final day in Melbourne and produced match-winning knocks. Uh, so it's a big tick for them. Selectors don't get heralded much, get praised much. Uh, and in particular, the effort to Sean Marsh, 445 runs at 74 Two hundreds, two fifties, and as you mentioned earlier, he came in in pressure situations and was that glue. If Mitch Marsh was to come into the side and up the ante, Sean Marsh was there to stay in there, be the rock and make sure there were no collapses, and they did that. So a big tick to the selectors and a big tick to Sean Marsh. Yeah, totally. You summed it up very well. I think, um, yeah, we, as you say, we don't often say well done to the selectors. We're pretty happy to bag them when we think they've got it wrong. But no, they, they definitely got it right. And, and they were rewarded or backed up by the players they selected. But I think Sean Marsh's experience was really important. You know, he's a, he's a little bit older. What is he, 33, 34 years of age? So he knows his game now. He knows what he needs to do to score runs. He's played test cricket before so he knows what it takes to have success and that's important in a really big series like the ashes uh and and so yeah he was really important really important yeah you mentioned that australia's had a few problems with collapses over the over the last couple of years and he just got stuck in did the hard yards and then reaped the rewards later on so uh no aw- awesome performance from him and you got to you got to remember how much pressure he was coming in that there was there was almost hate mail for him. You know, there were some people that were so angry that he, he got picked and, uh, and I'm just so proud of him that, and, and glad for him that he was able to show the world that he is good enough to play well at this level. Um, I, I, you know, I, I was one, certainly, that was saying, no, keep backing Peter Hanscom. And, and if they did, you never know. He might have been over the one to go yeah. and get some runs as well. But it was an inspired selection as well. They got Mitch Marsh into the team. Uh, he did so well. Brilliantly, 181, you know, at the Wacker was just an incredible innings, and he showed that he's made some technical changes to his uh, to his game. And um, if he's going to be batting in the top six, he needs to be scoring runs. So, so that was real good for his confidence to be able to score a couple of hundreds in the series, uh, and also confidence to the selectors that yeah, well, this guy can bat in the top six and do well. So that's a really good sign. Tim Payne, well. You know, I think everyone was shocked when he got picked, but he played brilliantly. Yeah, he he he, he was hardly noticed behind the stumps, which is a really good sign for a wicketkeeper. But I thought he was clean, he was sharp, made some handy handy contributions with the bat as well, uh, and uh, also he's got a bit of experience as well. And in big series, having that experience, that calmness was was really important as well. I guess the only player that probably didn't back up the selectors was uh, Cameron Bancroft, but he looked he looked uh, like he he could handle the level and, and I think the, uh, the selectors have invested in him and it'd be crazy just to sort of end that investment now you know the, the amount he would have learnt from the experiences of playing in such a huge series like an Ashes series um, he would he will take those lessons uh, and help him improve as a player and, and he'll be better for it for the rest of his career. Now four years ago George Bailey won 5 nil. he made 183 runs Cameron Bancroft made 179 runs in this series and George Bailey got booted for the Tour of South Africa but Mike you're sticking with Cameron aren't you? Yeah, I am, and and I guess the reasons behind it are, um, uh, well, the, the the other candidates, guys like Joe Burns and uh, Matt Renshaw, they haven't been able to play any other long form cricket um, to be able to push their claims. So it's it's unfortunate for them um, because I, I'm sure if there was, say, Joe Burns was peeling off, you know, a couple of hundreds for Queensland and Sheffield Shield cricket, then that would add the pressure on to Cameron Bancroft. So. Uh, um, at this stage, I just think, you know, let's reward the guys that did the job in the Ashes and let's, let's give him another series, um, get him out of the pressure of the Ashes series. Sometimes you just start fresh in another series and something just clicks and, and away you go. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the selectors do. A final point, Sean Martin, you said it there, if he stays fit, because that's what's really dogged his career mm. is his fitness. He's gone out with back or hamstring or he's broke his finger in a you know, freak fielding accident. If he stays fit and stays on, and stays on the part for a long time, be like Pat Cummins in a way, I mean, eight years apart or ten years apart, 
But once Pat Cummins got on the field and was fit, we've all seen what he can do, it'd be like Sean Marsh. Yeah, but I, I think it might sound a bit crazy, um, but sometimes uh, stress can play a, a part in injuries as well. If you're so anxious and you're so stressed and you're so desperate to do well, your body's tense all the time, and quite often that's when injuries can be caused. But I, I feel like now Sean Marsh is in a, in a place in his life where he's a lot more calm, not more, more relaxed. There's still going to be anxiety there, don't, don't get me wrong. But um, he's just more comfortable. Like cricket's not the be-all and end-all anymore. And quite often you can have a good run of form and fitness when you're just relaxed and enjoying the game. You're not putting that extra excess stress on your body. So let's hope that's the case for Sean Marsh. One of the other big matchups leading into the series was the, was the head-to-head battle of the spinners, Nathan Lyon versus Moen Alley. Now, the numbers suggest a landslide victory to the Australian. Nathan Lyon, 21 wickets at 29. Best bowling of four for 60. Striker at 74 versus Moen, who just took the five wickets at 115. Um, he had a best bowling of two for 74. And his strike rate, Mike, was 203. Mm-hmm. Off-spinners, foreign off-spinners have traditionally struggled in Australia. Habajan Singh, Matai Muruluta and Ravi Ashwin have done poorly in Australia. I mean, yeah. you think of Murali, he's taken 800 test wickets, I think average 55 in Australia. Mm. It proved that, you know, we spoke before the start of this year, and I think I wrote these, these notes down, that you wouldn't underestimate him. But on these pitches, he didn't get a lot of turn, and the Australians didn't show him a whole lot of respect, to be fair. They, they took him down, and he was they were really troubled by him. Yeah, I- well, it was no contest, really, between Nathan Lyon and Moen Ali. Uh, Nathan Lyon was outstanding. He, he had uh, quite a few left-handers to bowl to, and um, he bowled so well to the lefties, so, so that was in his favour as well. Moen Ali, well, if I'm being honest, I, I see him as more of a batsman that can help out with the ball, so I think it's probably undue pressure on him being the front-line spinner, and perhaps if England can find, whether it's Mason Crane or someone else, a front-line spinner... And then you might see Mo and Ali be able to chip in with a handy couple of wickets without feeling that extra pressure of he's the main man and he's got to take all the wickets as a spinner. So, yeah, England have got some, um, I guess, a bit of a review to take place on their team and see where they're going and see um, how they can make their team better. But certainly, yeah, Moen versus Lyon was, um, yeah, Moen was easily beaten, unfortunately, for England. And I think we spoke about this during the Test match that it was hard not to pick him because he'd done so well in mm. England. He yeah, got a hat exactly. trick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, he, he has done well. And, and that's why they, they shouldn't just discard him altogether because he's a good cricketer, okay? And anyone can have a bad series here or there. Uh, this Australian team were on. They, they were on their game and playing really well, good, confident cricket. Sometimes you have a bowler that's just got your measure uh, and uh, you can't get away from him. So I, I just think England, it's important they don't make any hasty, rash, emotional decisions right now. It's a case of just go away, let the dust settle, do a good, solid review. Um, yeah, yeah, he's a very good cricketer and he's done a lot of good things for England. He's won games of cricket you know, off his own bat and with yeah. the ball for England. So they'd be crazy just to discard him for sure. And Nathan Lyon, I think he's 11 wickets away from 300. Incredible. It's a fantastic effort. Uh, he's got, he's, you know, he's only just turned 30. He could have five, six years left and, and he could get 500 wickets. Well, you know, I, I think he should chase down Warney. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what does he need? Uh, you know, he's, uh, yeah, but no, three, if he can get to 300, that's an amazing achievement, you know. Uh, you know, especially as an off spinner, you mentioned it. As a finger spinner in Australian conditions, it's extremely tough. It's so difficult, but he's just done so well. Um, he's done so well in Australia, but he's now started to be a lot more consistent overseas as well, getting some rewards in Asia, which he, he hasn't always done. And, uh, yeah, anytime there's a, a number of left-handers in the um, order, then uh, he, he's certainly going to be a big threat. Right. A fourth point, Mike, is we've just titled it Fast, Fast Bowling, and you mentioned it earlier that in Australia, one of the learnings that Joe Root will, will have taken on board is that you need express bowling 
fast bowls in this um, in this country. Australia's attack had it. Well, their three bowls could hit 145 at certain times. England bowlers, I'm not sure, hit that at all. Uh, flat wickets. You need to be able to generate bounce and pace, and if you don't have that through the air, it's very difficult. Uh, Mike, but I think you know England don't have it. If they don't have the cattle, they don't have it. But how do you go about producing fast bowls? Mm. I mean, that's the big question. How do how do countries like Australia, and South Africa, even Pakistan, how do they produce these express fast bowls, but England can't? Yeah, well, it's a good question. Uh, my thoughts are it, it comes down to the pitches you've got in first-class cricket in England, and generally speaking, you know, especially early in the season, they've got a bit of juice in them. So you don't have to be express pace. In fact, you know, the express pace bowling isn't desirable over there. You want the guys that are really accurate, that hit the seam, swing the ball around. They're the ones that get all the wickets. As I said, particularly early in the season, they can flatten out quite a lot in the back half of the English summer. But, yeah, there's no need to develop them because the conditions suit the, those more seeming bowlers. So England need to have a think about it and think, OK, well, if we want to, ha- if we want to develop some really fast bowlers uh, and we want to be competitive in Australia, then perhaps we need to start playing on some flatter pitches in England uh, in our county system. And then that will encourage guys to have to bowl a bit faster, try reverse swing. Um, the, the medium pace seamers are not going to be as effective. And, and that's, it might take some time to develop those uh, seriously quick bowlers. But but that's certainly one one thing that they can try. Mark Wood and Stephen Finn didn't play through injury in this series. Mark Wood was in Australia but was deemed probably not fit enough or match fit enough to play. Would they have made much of a difference because they can reach pretty high speeds? Yeah, well, yes and no. I think, yeah, well, there's no point playing someone like Mark Wood if, he's not, if he can't get through, you know... The, the full test match yeah. by bowling seriously uh, quick and keeping his quality up. It's all good and well being fast, but if you're not landing him in a decent area as well, then you're just going to get smashed around. So if if he had the necessary um, bowling behind him, then he could have made a, dis- a difference for sure. I think Stephen Finn could have made a difference. Yeah. yeah, I think his bowling would have been suited to Australian conditions. Uh, he's tall. If he could have got that pace up over 140 k's an hour, I, I think he could have been a bit of a handful for the Australians. So that was a big loss early in the tour, in my view. And finally, uh, Mike, the fifth point. Um, this series remembered for lots of things. Steve Smith, Australia's court dead of bowls, taking 20 wickets each. But there's one player who didn't come, and that was Ben Stokes that night in September. Alistair Cook said it in Perth that that night uh, changed, or that morning that changed um, England cricket forever, for a long time. And, and throughout the series, there were little incidents. There was the Bancroft, Bairstow headbutt thing that happened in Perth. There was Ben Duckett pouring a drink over James Anderson in a Perth nightclub. A lot of bad things seem to be happening in Perth, Mike. Is that, is that where you're from? Um, uh, you know, all these sort of dis- disciplinary um, issues that were coming up and it all started with Ben Stokes who didn't end up playing a partner. He went to New Zealand and played some one-day games hoping that maybe if there was a decision he could have just ducked across the ditch and played but it didn't come to be. Uh, how much of an impact did it have on the series and on England with him not being there? Yeah, it's it's a good question. Um, I don't think it would have changed the result of the series. I still think Australia would have won comfortably. He's a very good player and, and certainly um, would have helped the balance of the English team. Uh, no question about that. But uh, I, I personally don't think that yeah, it would have changed anything. Um, Australia were just too good. And, yeah, it, it's... If if that sort of stuff was going on in the background, it could have even been more of a distraction. If if he you know had the incident and then came to Australia to play, it would have just been a media circus and could been more of a distraction than anything anyway. So it could have even had more of a detrimental effect on the English camp. If the incident didn't happen happen whatsoever and a fit and focused and and uh, 
uh, if Ben Stokes playing really well, then I'm sure the series would have tightened up. But I, I still believe that Australia. I, I don't think. Ben Stokes playing and playing well would be the difference between England winning and, and losing the series. And it's tough to look from the outside in, but do you reckon England have got a few issues there with that, uh, I can't say drinking culture, because we don't know what's going on there, but they did mm. seem to have these issues that popped up. Do you reckon there's an issue there and there's something they probably have to look at in their review? I think they have to look at it, for sure. I don't necessarily think there's serious issues there, but just the players need to be a little bit smarter in, in the decision-making, really, and, and just sort of realising that, you know, un- unfortunately, any any of your actions are going to be scrutinised, and if they're not seen as desirable react, uh, uh, reactions to, to certain situations, then um, you're going to get criticised for it. The whole team's going to get criticised for it. The the country's going to get criticised for it. So you need to be very, very careful as a player that you can't get away with anything these days. Um, everything is caught on cameras or phones or, or whatever, so you need to be very, very careful with your conduct. And I'm sure that's something that England will talk about moving forward. Here's this week's backward point. Now, Mike, this week's backward point is a little unusual, as most backward points are. Um, And we're going to do a bit of a contrast, uh, a theoretical match, a hypothetical match, between the England side of 2017-18, the one that just lost 4-0, and the one in 2013-14. The English side, they got whitewashed 5-0. So it's a test match in Australia. Who wins? The one of this year or the one of four years ago? That's really difficult to... uh Really difficult to answer. Um, we've got the numbers there. Got the numbers in front of me here. So, you know, we've got Cook and Carberry, Root, uh, KP, Bell, Stokes, Pryor and Bairstow, Broad, Swan, Panasar, Bresnan and Jimmy Anderson. It's a pretty good team. It's a good team. Pretty good team, but they were below their best, weren't they? Uh, KP didn't have a very good series, uh, nor did uh, Bell. Joe Root actually got dropped on that series as well. Yep. Um, Cook, Carberry, so their top order, there was really nothing. Um, you get down to Stokes, I guess it's a pass mark. He averaged nearly 35. But um, Stuart Broad actually had a good series back then, getting 21 wickets at 27. But uh, all in all, it was a pretty ordinary um, tour for, for that 2013-14 team. Looking ahead to the 2017-2018, um, yeah, most of the top order had a pretty ordinary series, apart from Joe Root averaging 47 and Milan averaging 42. So there's a couple of batsmen in there that have done all right. Yep. Um, as far as the ball, I thought Jimmy Anderson did all right. Um, but no one else really did too much with the ball, I guess. So I guess looking at 2017-2018, they only lost 4-0. <laughs> whereas 2013-2014, they lost 5-0. So, and then a couple of the batsmen did all right uh, in the series. just gone. So I'm going to say... This current team, the 2017-2018, are going to beat the 2013-14 team, but only just. It's going to go right down to the wire. See, I look at this, and this team that came over in 2013-14, they'd just beaten Australia 3-0 in England. So six months earlier, not even that much, three months earlier or so. They'd just beaten them. and So we, we need to point out, though, that this... Isn't this team at its best? Because if you've got a KP at their best, Bell yeah. at their best, Cook at their best, then they're a pretty it's pretty the, good team. It's that team. So they had a lot more expectation on them. Mm. Whereas this team that just toured didn't have as much expectation. You speak to the English press pack, that that's why the 5-0 hurts significantly more mm. than the 4-0. Because even though it was 4-0 and they got wiped by an innings a couple of times, it was that 10-wicket win in Brisbane um, or 10-wicket loss in Brisbane. Uh it didn't seem as bad because they were in a little bit and it was kind of inevitable. 
Um, but maybe that would have helped this year's team. You know, they have got the extra pressure on them, the extra expectation. They can just go out there and play, whereas the 2013-14 team, they're expected to win, um, and they weren't playing very well. So, uh, uh, well, or Australia didn't let them play well, which well, I'm sure this team would have... Well, I was going to say, one aspect of it, having looked at that, which Australian team was better? I mean, they had to, the 13-14 mm. team had to face Mitchell Johnson at his absolute best. Ryan Harris... Right up his best. Uh, an emerging Nathan Lyon who was still on, on the way up. Peter mm. Siddle was bowling as well as ever. You had Michael Clark get 200, 200s. Uh, Dave Warner scored 200. Steve Smith, unbelievably, scored his second and third Test match centuries, and mm. he's got 24 now. Uh, Chris Rogers is in great nick. Shane Watson got 100. So maybe they didn't get allowed to be as they weren't allowed yep. to be as good. That's a fair it. argument too. Does that change? Does that change your um, thinking? No, because. Uh, they can only play against who you're playing against. True. And, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. But both the Australian teams haven't allowed mm. each England team to uh, to play at their best, for sure. The Australian team of 2013-14 was unbelievable. Sensational yeah. team. And, and, you know, they played so well. And, and poor England, they just didn't have a chance to get into the series at all. And, and it was much the same in 2017-2018. We, we probably... Um, well, oh, no, I'm just going to stick to my guns there. I, I think um, so. So you're saying that the Australian team of 2013-14 is better than the current Australian team? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's a tough one too, isn't it? Because it is. It is a tough one. But you've got. I mean, Bancroft didn't have a great series this series, but Warner and Rogers both did. Watson at three was good. Clark was good at uh, at four. Steve Smith was coming good at five. George Bailey didn't have a great series. Maybe him and. Well, him and Bancroft by the stats, they sort of cancel each other out. Haddon and Tim Payne did very similar. Haddon was a linchpin in a Haddon lot of those. Had a great series. Had a great series. Took lots of catches as well. I don't know. That would be a good test match as well. Australia 2013-14 versus Australia 2017-18. Yeah. That would have been a serious game. Nathan Lyons, better than he was four years ago. Yeah, he is, definitely. Stark versus Johnson. Johnson would have him there. Johnson by the way, he only played four tests. Mitchell Stark was on track until he got injured. Hazelwood and Ryan Harris, similar sort of Pretty rollers. similar, yeah. And then you've Cummins, got Cummins versus, Siddle. versus Siddle. Maybe Cummins might have just pipped Sids. Yeah, maybe just a little bit with the bat too. Yeah, that's true. So, so yeah, very close. It'll be a very close game. Maybe the Sh- current team might have just pipped them. Yeah, if, if Sean Marsh versus that Steve Smith. And you put that Michael Clark versus this Steve Smith. I think this team might pip him. It'll be close. It'll be um, close. But I'm, I'm going to take the 13-14 England team. Okay. Because I can't take this team with... With Mo and Ali in it, because he just had such a such a bad series. It's a fair call. That I just think you know, KP would have taken care of him. I just don't think there's enough threat. I think this batting lineup, even though they're out of Nick, they're not facing Mitchell Johnson, so I reckon they might be able to take care of the the one that toured here. Yeah, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I'm not right. sure there's a right answer here, Mike, <laughs> but. Uh, no, I agree with you. Swan Panasar as a spin option is a lot better than the Mo and Ali. And even though Swan. Didn't have an elbow. He was bowling. He, you know, his, his elbow was stuffed, and he ended up leaving after three games. Yeah. And Monty came in. Uh, yeah. When I mean, they took twice as many wickets. As... All right. All right. I'm going to come around then, and oh. I'll, I'll be on your side then. All right. Oh, what? Why don't you call it a draw? Yeah. Let's five, five, draw. five days. <laughs> Mike, we're going to finish the program with a look ahead to 2019. Can you believe it's only 18 months away till the next Ashes series? Yeah, well, I think I'm sure Australia will want to really enjoy this Ashes win, and and they should. They deserve it. But 
you can't afford to rest on your laurels for too long. I think the planning needs to almost start straight away. Well, get let's get through the uh, South African series mm. first. That's going to be a belter. And that's going to be a great series, definitely. Oh. Um, but then I think it's important that Australia start thinking about that Ashes because we haven't won in, in England for, for quite a few series now. 2001. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, And I know it's on Steve Smith's bucket list. It'll be in the forefront of his mind. Uh, so it is important just to get the thinking right, get the planning right as well. Um, I know it, it seems like it's you know still a fair way away, but it'll come around pretty quickly. And, and so Australia need to be ready to give it the best chance of, of doing well over there. All right. Some of the, some of the things I'm thinking of leading into that series in 2015, when the ball was moving around, the wickets were a little bit green, overcast conditions, and the ball was swinging. Australia's batsmen, Australia's batsmen didn't handle it really well. Do you reckon Steve Smith and the Aussies can? Well, I mean, how do they get better at that in the time between now and then? Yeah, it's a good question. Well, I think Cricket Australia have already started the process by playing with the Duke ball in Australian conditions for the second half of the Shield yep. season. That's a good start. Now, the, the counter-argument to that is that it's not in English conditions. And, and, and the Australian fine. players don't play Sheffield Cricket in the back half of the series either. Oh, that's true. That's a, that's a fair point. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You've got to start the process somewhere. Yep. So I think that's a good thing because, yeah, the players need to learn to, to face that ball swinging around. That The second part of the argument is... Let's get the guys to England earlier. Yep. Let's get a proper preparation in, mate. at least four proper first-class games against good opposition. Because I've found from personal experience in playing county cricket, that first month that you're there, you do, you feel all at sea. You're not sure. You're coming hard at the ball as from a batting point of view. You're not waiting for it. You just get LBW for fun. You nick them off for fun. And then something just clicks. You just get your timing right in their conditions and then you can really dominate with the bat. Um, if we just go in there and play one or two games, uh, don't fully get used to the conditions, then we'll be found wanting again, um, especially yeah, especially if that ball's moving around. So I just think it's important to spend more time than you think in English conditions getting ready. It was, uh, yeah, I think that's going to be important. Well, will this be a, a positive or a negative, a help or a hindrance, having the World Cup before the Ashes? Because they're going to be there potentially for two months before the Ashes even start. Again, it'll be against a white kookaburra ball, it'll be early in the season over there, but at least it'll be acclimatised to some degree in England. Yeah, I think it's definitely a positive and a bonus for Australia to be there. Um, they'll be training in the nets, they'll, they'll be playing games on those English pitches, which will be slower. Yep. Um, okay, one-day pitches might be a bit flatter, um, but... The, the other thing that might work in Australia's favour is that the test matches or the Ashes test matches will be in the second half of the season. And uh, the, generally speaking, the, the pitches are a bit flatter in the back half of the English season. So that might work in Australia's favour. However, I'm sure the English will make sure there's a little bit of juice in them. So um, that they'll just have, yeah, at least they're over there. They're getting used to the conditions. They're playing um, on those pitches as often as possible. That, that's got to be a plus. So it'd be interesting to see how many players from the one-day squad will be actually in the Ashes squad. They hopefully maybe can sneak a couple of extra ones in there. Oh, good call. Uh, on the flip side, the bowlers. Now, this attack they've got now, Stark, Cummins, Lyon, Hayeswood, could go down as one of the great Australian attacks of all time. Mm-hmm. But is this an attack for all services? Uh, as we saw, with Australia tried to blast them out with pace in 2015 when they had Stark, Johnson and Hazelwood, and Cummins was actually over there waiting in the wings to play, uh, and Nathan Lyon over there as well. Uh, is that the right strategy? Can this attack adapt and be as potent on English wickets or do they look for some of those guys that would suit English conditions like a Jackson Bird, like a Chad Sayers? Mm. It'd be a tough call to drop any of of those three quicks that have done so well in the Ashes. Yeah, 
it's an interesting conversation, and uh, I, I think it needs to, the conversation needs to be had because yeah, I, I remember Brett Lee, for example, uh, in English conditions, sometimes he could be a bit expensive because of his extra pace, and they can just use the pace to uh, um, you know to good effect. So yeah, the very skillful bowlers that just a line and length that can swing and seam the ball around can have a lot of success over there. So yeah, I think you're right. I think the likes of Sayers and Jackson Bird can come in, in into line for selection, um, and, and yeah, it needs to be discussed. I still think that. The quality of Stark and Hazelwood and Cummins is there, and they're skillful enough to get the ball in the right area as well. And if you're doing it at good pace, then it's uh, it's still it's still uh, going to be very hard for the English to play. So, um, I, I certainly I certainly think I'd be looking at those guys first, um, but then I'd be adaptable to see if it's not quite going right early in the series, then be willing to make the change if the conditions suit. Like that's the other thing we've got to make sure um, the conditions are really green for for those swing and seam bowlers as well. And I'm going to back these these three fast bowlers because two of them were over there in 2015. They would have learned a lot yep. over there. Hazel played the first the first four tests and missed out of the oval. Stark played all five. They would have picked up a lot of things playing over there yep. with the Duke's ball. I totally agree. Um, and, and that's what you want as a player. You want to be tested in all the different conditions around the world. Um, and because, yeah, the first time you might battle a little bit, but then you just take all those lessons and learnings and uh, and you become a better player next time you go. So I, I totally agree that those guys will be better from going through that previous series and the heartache there last time, and, and they'll, they'll perform better this time. You look at only Joe Root in, in this series in Australia. He got dropped last time he was here in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this time here he ended up averaging 47. And, and I know he would have liked a 100 or two, but he still had a pretty good series. And the 2019 Ashes series could be the swan song for Alistair Cook, James Anderson and Stuart Broad. How much of that will have an effect on this series? I mean, the emotions would be sky high. Yeah, well, it could be. We don't know. We're speculating. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it, it's an awkward one for the players because if if – they might not want it to be known that it's going to be their, their last series or something like that because they won't want the focus to be on themselves. They want the team to be focused on on the Ashes, you know, and, and that, that's the most important thing. However, if they do make it known that this is going to be that, then they can get caught up in the wave of the emotion of it, England, and, and really feel like they're playing for something even greater than the Ashes, you know. They're, they're, they're great mates here as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that gets played out. It, it you know, we we might be jumping the gun. Alistair Cook might keep going for another three or four years. Yeah. We don't we don't know. Um, Stuart Broad might keep going as well. The thing about those players, they've done so well in English conditions. So, okay, over here things haven't quite gone as well for them in Australia, but um, you get them back home, they'll start having success again, and yeah. they'll think, no, no, I can keep going for a few years yet. And uh, and so, yeah, let, let's just wait and see how it plays out. I, I, I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to be their swan song just yet. Now, you played in the last test of Shane Warne, Glenn McGrath and Justin Langer. Yeah. In the week leading up to that, after that MCG test, what was it like? Did, did the, sh- the focus shift really on not winning the game for Australia, but winning the game for those three guys? Uh, a little bit, but we'd already secured the Ashes in Perth before any of it came out. So, so we didn't really know, but we'd won the Ashes, so the pressure was off just a little bit. Uh, we were able to go to Melbourne and, uh, yeah, then, then the announcements started coming out. And, and, yeah, you were playing for those guys. Obviously, you wanted to win the Test match, um, but you wanted to send those guys off on a high as well. So you get caught up in the emotion as well, and the crowds really got into it as well. They wanted to say goodbye to these, you know, legends of the game. Uh, and to be honest, it was... I was honoured to be out there yeah. playing in their last test matches and uh, watching how they how they finished off and the standing ovations they got. You know, it gave me immense pride. Um, you know, just to be say I was on the same team as these guys. And did you take the catch for McGrath last weekend? I did. His last ball in Test cricket caught uh, Anderson caught Hussey 
Bold McGrath. Did you keep the ball or did you give it to Glenn? Um, I actually did put it in my pocket to start <laughs> with and then I thought, no, nah, I've got to give this to Glenn McGrath. <laughs> Good stuff. Now, before we wrap up, uh, next assignment for the Australians is a five-match Gillette one-day series against England. Uh, there's no Chris Lynn for the Australians, unfortunately. He's out for three to four weeks. This is going to be a little... And a little entree, so to speak. The Australian England play again later this year in England, another five-match one-day series. Uh, you'd think they would beat somewhere in the World Cup in 2019, mm. but this is going to be see where these two sides are at. England have a very, very good one-day yeah. side. Australia have been dominant in the one-day game pretty much since its inception. Uh, so it'll be great to see where they go. I think this could be a really tight series. Uh, I really do. I, you're right, England have a very dynamic one-day team. Uh, they've been playing some really good one-day cricket in the last year or so. You think back to that 2015 World Cup, and they had that they were behind the game, England. You know, they were picking those traditional old players, and the game had moved on. and And they've changed their philosophy now. Um, you know, some of the guys they've got in there: Jason Roy, um, Butler, um, you know, uh, Billings. You know, these sort of guys. They're they're dynamic players. And and the good thing for them is some of them have got some um, experience playing in Australian conditions. They've been warming up in the Big Bash, so they're getting used to the conditions, they're getting themselves into form, and um, they're getting used to the crowds and the pitches. So I think they'll be on top form. Um, well led by um, Owen Morgan as well. He's a relaxed, calm customer. He won't panic too much. And uh, it might just help Joe Root as well, get that captaincy burden off him from the test matches, just get out there and play, and uh, hopefully he recovers from his illness and uh, we can see the best of him. And Josh Butler, he's, yeah. uh, he's on fire with your Sydney Thunder before this uh, Mike and he's in he's in great nick and such an explosive player. Yeah, he's uh, he's a gun, absolute yeah. gun and uh, dangerous. He can hit the ball three sixty uh, degrees on the field. Um, lovely guy too, you know, really gentleman, uh, a gentleman of the game and uh, a calming influence around the dressing room. He, he had a big impact on all the guys uh, at the Sydney Thunder. Uh, and yeah, just just sort of watching his performances get better and better and better just showed that he's uh, coming into some top form just as the one day start for England. So you might have warmed him up. If Australia loses this series and Butler has a blinder, it's your fault. <laughs> it, it, we might have had something to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. What, what is it? Can you get done for treason for that sort of stuff? I'm not sure. Is there a <laughs> is there a player in the Australian setup that you're looking forward to seeing play? Yeah, well, I want I want AJ Ty to really show how good he is. Um, I hope he gets an opportunity uh, along the way because all the big boys are still there with Stark and Hazelwood and uh, and Pat Cummins as well. So uh, if they get rested along the way. But um, AJ Ty is someone that's um, done so well in the Big Bash. He's been incredible, really. Mm. Um, but hasn't quite nailed it every single time he's taken that step up to international level. He's got a hat-trick at the IPL. Um, he's got two Big Bash hat-tricks. Uh, he's just got that knack of taking wickets. And I'd love him just to take that jump up to you know, um, be really recognised on the international stage. That's a pretty good summary, Mike. Thank you very much. Uh, no what, what are your next movements? Uh, I'm hanging out with the Thunder now for, for a week or so. Um, hopefully we can get on a bit of run, a bit of a run, get a, some momentum going and, uh, and start pushing up towards the finals. That'll be very nice. All right, well, all the best with that. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week, but until then, head to cricket.com.au for all your news, scores and video. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 